The Twenty-One Balloons, Chapter 4, The Unwelcome Passenger When released, my balloon instantly and gracefully rose to a height of 1,600 feet and kept this altitude as a swift wind carried me out over San Francisco and over the Pacific Ocean. Before taking off, I had lain down on my balloon mattress on the floor of my basket house and held tightly to two handles attached to the floor to bolster myself against the shock of a quick ascension. The first jolt was quite a large one, but as soon as the globe reached its cruising altitude, which seemed to take only a minute or two, my flying basket house was as calm and easy to move around in as if it were on the ground. I swallowed several times to clear my ears, because they felt stuffed up when the balloon was climbing fast. I got up off my mattress, straightened some books which had fallen from their shelves, and walked out on my porch to have a last look at San Francisco. It was a clear, sunny afternoon, and I must say the city beneath me looked most beautiful. I noticed quite a few people looking up at me. Evidently, the actual sight of my giant balloon and basket house was considerably more exciting to see than pictured in the newspaper stories. I even noticed crowds of people running down the streets in the same direction that I was flying, so absorbed at looking up at me that they kept bumping into other people at street intersections. There was considerable confusion and even what appeared to be a street fight. This was most flattering. In less than ten minutes, I was out over water and watching the coastline disappear from view. Several seagulls were following the globe as it flew off over the Pacific. Some of them rested occasionally on the balustrade around my porch, making my balloon descend a little. Some of them rested on the silken surfaces of the balloon itself, which gave me some cause to worry. I knew the cloth, which was specially prepared and made to withstand tremendous punishment of all kinds, wouldn't be damaged by the gulls. But the sight of the birds, their sharp claws extended, coming in for a fast landing on my huge balloon, scared me to death. Mariners have often told me that they consider seagulls to be good luck and always feed them by throwing garbage overboard. I didn't have any garbage at that early stage of my trip and couldn't afford to spare any of my precious food for feeding birds, so I had to risk misfortune and let the gulls go hungry. My balloon house was nice to travel in, for except at noontime when the sun was directly overhead, there was always one side of the porch where I could sit in the warm sun. I did a great deal of reading. Seated in a comfortable chair, my feet propped up on the balustrade, this was a truly enjoyable mode of life. At this last remark of Professor Sherman's, the other explorers in the well-behaved audience couldn't resist a deeply felt sigh. I saved all of my garbage for the first three days, storing it up front where the wind would carry its odor off ahead of the balloon. On the morning of the fourth day, I must say the odor from this garbage was becoming quite unbearable. The wind, of course, is always behind you when you fly a balloon, and since the wind travels faster than the balloon due to the friction present when such a massive body moves through the atmosphere, it carries all odors forward. However, the odors from my garbage had become so persistent by the fourth day that I was finding myself to be constantly flying through my own smells, as it were, a most disagreeable state of affairs. But then something truly wonderful happened. Rain clouds formed directly above me that morning of the fourth day, and it began to rain, and the wind blew the rain against my wicker house, making things generally unpleasant. This was excuse enough to unload my food ballast. Holding my nose with one hand, I walked up in front and dumped all the garbage over the side. The globe instantly bounded up through the rain clouds into the sun again, and I continued on in fresh air and sunshine. As I looked down at the rain clouds and took deep breaths of fresh air, I felt that I indeed mastered the elements to a most satisfactory degree. Nighttime in my balloon house was particularly enjoyable. The gentle motion of the balloon and my soft inflated mattress made a combination for perfect sleeping. I spent the early evening on my porch in solitary contentment studying the stars. I think I can honestly say that my few days flying over the Pacific in the globe were the happiest days of my life. Everything worked pretty much as planned on the first few days of my trip. Doing my laundry and washing my dishes by dunking them at the end of my fishing line was fairly satisfactory. Reeling in a wet suit was quite tiresome, 
but I was invariably pleased to find my suit nearly dry by the time I had pulled it in. Fishing was poor from such a height. To reel in a fish at the end of a 1,400-foot line was too tricky for a fisherman of my caliber, and I dropped many of them long before I could even distinguish what kind of fish I had hooked. I exercised by walking around the porch of my house, that is, I exercised my legs in this manner. My arms got plenty of exercise reeling in the laundry and dishes. I sighted a small fishing boat in the afternoon of the fifth day. This was the first sign of life I had seen since leaving San Francisco. I soon noticed that I was going to fly directly over it, so I decided to try and signal it. I knew a little Morse code, so I took a mirror and flashed the message, I am Professor Sherman of San Francisco, and all is well. The fishing boat, manned evidently by a Japanese crew, slowly flashed back the simple message, no speak English. This, to me, was just right. I wanted to be alone, out of touch with the world. This was the first sign of life I had seen in five days, and it couldn't possibly contact me. All was indeed well. The sixth day was perfect, calm and uneventful. My garbage was again beginning to make its presence felt, but it wasn't too bad. The seventh day, ladies and gentlemen, was catastrophic. I shall never forget the seventh day of this voyage of mine for as long as I live. Just about everything went wrong, and my dreams of spending a year in a balloon were shattered. The first thing I noticed on the morning of that fateful day was a small speck far off on the horizon, which couldn't possibly be anything else but land. Land on my seventh day out. I had flown straight across the Pacific Ocean at a fabulous rate of speed. I had originally hoped that the winds would blow me first in one direction and then in another, and that I would spend at least a month without seeing any land, whether it be on the Asiatic side of the ocean or back on the American side. But there in the distance before me was a small speck, which was slowly taking on the shape of a little volcanic island, most of it mountain, with a column of smoke slowly rising from it into the blue sky. Then, seemingly from out of nowhere, appeared seagulls, the same sort of birds that had seen me off from San Francisco, now forming a welcoming committee for an island I hadn't the slightest desire to visit. At the sight of the gulls, I instantly dumped my garbage overboard. This I thought to be a fine idea. I was not only feeding the gulls, but also rising up high enough to clear the island by a wide margin to get away as far as possible from this unwelcome side of land. However, it didn't work out quite the way I had hoped. The gulls plunged avidly into the water after my food, one of them grabbed the remains of the carcass of a smoked turkey I had been living on for most of the week, took it onto the very top of my balloon, and settled down to devour it in comfort. The other gulls, after having dived for all the smaller pieces of food in the ocean, flew back up to where I was and noticed their comrade comfortably feasting on a cold turkey on the top of my balloon. This instantly set off a loud symphony of cawing, and a big fight over the carcass started to shape up all at once. This was all out of my reach, and all I could do was pace around my small porch, praying that nothing would happen to my balloon. I leaned over the balustrade, looked up, and saw one lone seagull gliding very slowly over the globe, his head hanging down with that frightening look of a hawk studying his prey. This was horrible. I hadn't thought of bringing a gun with me. The gull circled slowly around the balloon once, then dove. He plummeted straight for the turkey carcass. Whether he got it or not, I'll never know. There was a loud and confused seagull action on top of my balloon. It seemed to me they all flew away at once, and then I heard something ghastly. The sound of a seagull beating his wings and cawing for breath in the rarefied atmosphere inside the silken bag of my balloon. On this seventh day of my trip, which was supposed to last a year, I found myself with a hole in my balloon the size of a seagull. I was heartbroken. It was impossible for me to get at the hole in order to attempt to mend it. The globe had already begun to lose altitude. I had only one choice, to try to land on that island. I saw immediately that at the rate I was descending, I would be long in the ocean before I reached the island. I started throwing things overboard to make my basket house lighter so that I would fly above water longer. I had no idea of the nature of the island I was approaching, so at first I decided to save all my food in case I needed it to live on when I landed. 
I threw chairs, tables, books, water distilling apparatus, water cans, dishes, garbage containers, cups, saucers, charts, globes, coat hangers, clothes, everything non-edible. Clocks, scissors, towels, combs, brushes, soaps, everything I could lay my hands on I threw out the doors, off the porch, out of the windows, the fastest possible way I could rid myself of anything which weighed anything. The globe continued to descend at a speed which was far too great if I were to make the island. I had to throw away my food. I threw all of the heavier canned goods first. This wasn't good enough. I threw the fruits, vegetables, smoked meats, everything in my house. I looked overboard. I was but a few hundred feet above the water, and still the island was over a mile off. Then I discovered something new and worse in the way of horrors. A school of sharks was following me in the water beneath and swallowing the food I threw as soon as it hit the water. This meant that I had to make the island or fall among the sharks. I was desperate. There was nothing left in the house to throw overboard. I emptied my pockets, saving only my pocket knife. I threw the clothes I was wearing next, all of them except my right shoe. I walked around the porch and, clinging to the windows sills with my arms, kicked the balustrade and uprights off the porch with my right foot. The balloon still had a half mile to go. There was only one thing left to do. I climbed up on the roof of my basket house, pulled the ladder up, and threw that overboard. With my pocket knife, I cut four of the ropes which attached the house to the balloon, one from each corner, and tied them securely together. I looped my left arm through these ropes. I then grabbed my knife and slashed all the other ropes supporting my house. My basket house fell and splashed among the sharks, and the globe gave a small leap upward. I dropped my pocket knife, kicked off my right shoe, and prayed. A minute or two later, I felt my toes hit the water, and I shut my eyes, afraid to look and see if any sharks were about. But my toes only skimmed once or twice on the water surface when I found myself being dragged across the beach of the island, and the giant deflated bag of the globe came to rest on top of a tall palm tree. I was exhausted, burned by the sand, and too weak to crawl out of the sun into the shade. I must have gone to sleep on this beach.